Your listenership is so important to us, and we hope you're enjoying the show. If you are able to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be enormously helpful in allowing us to reach more people and help them get a good night's sleep. So does following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast player that you use. Thank you so much for your time and support. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm so glad you chose to be here tonight, because this evening we're returning to a Christmas carol. Before we do, let's give ourselves some time to recenter. Imagine you are sat in an easy chair, looking out a window in a cozy little room, warmed by a crackling fire by your side. Outside, There is a fresh blanket of white snow covering the rooftops of the houses and the windowsills. People are shuffling by, each feeling the cold, but smiling broadly and nodding to each other as they pass. You close your eyes and listen to the distant sound of merry voices and familiar music you only hear once a year. As you take a deep breath in, you smell the delicious scent of a meal being cooked and the fire next to you. When you exhale, you sink deeper into your chair and smile to yourself. Previously, Scrooge prepared himself for his next visitor. When a light beamed onto his bed, he followed it into his own living room. It was covered with green and filled with the warmth from a roaring fire in the hearth, and mountains of food and drink were everywhere. In the chair was a welcoming, jolly giant, dressed in nothing but a green robe. He bade Scrooge to enter, and introduced himself as the ghost of Christmas presents. Scrooge held on to the giant's robe, and they were on the streets of London. It was morning and busy. There was snow all around, and shops were abundant with delicious meats, breads, and fruits. Then the bells of the church chimed, and everyone began to make their way towards it. The ghost 
then took Scrooge to the home of his clerk, Bob Cratchit. His wife, daughter and son were busy preparing dinner when the two little Cratchits stormed in. Then they were joined by another daughter, Martha. Then Bob arrived with their little boy, Tiny Tim, on his shoulders. Tiny Tim was sadly very disabled and had a little crutch and a frame to support him. The family had a beautifully cooked goose dinner with Christmas pudding before retiring with chestnuts and fruit. Scrooge observed Tiny Tim holding on to his father's hand. And that's where we pick back up tonight, with Scrooge learning that this may be Tiny Tim's last Christmas. So just lie back and try to relax as I turn to the next pages of A Christmas Carol. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in heart, not adamant, Forbear that wicked can't until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh, God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob, I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, reddening. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, said Bob, children, Christmas Day. Should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, she said, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do. Poor fellow. My dear, was Bob's mild answer. Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
You'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings, which had no heartiness. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care twopence for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for full five minutes. After it had passed away, they were ten times merrier than before, from the mere relief of Scrooge the Baleful being done with. Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for Master Peter, which would bring in, if obtained, full five and sixpence weekly. The two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter's being a man of business, and Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars, as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favour when he came into the receipt of that bewildering income. Martha, who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's, then told them what kind of work she had to do, and how many hours she worked at a stretch, and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest, tomorrow being a holiday she passed at home. Also how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before, and how the lord was much about as tall as Peter, at which Peter pulled up his collars so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you had been there. All this time, the chestnuts and the jug went round and round, and by and by they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow from Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family. They were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty, and Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded, and looked happier yet in the bright sparklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially upon Tiny Tim, until the last. By this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily, and as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in the kitchens, parlours, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here the flickering of the blaze 
showed preparations for a cosy dinner with hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. There, all the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, and be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blind of guests assembling, and there a group of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted and all chattering at once, tripped lightly off to some near neighbor's house, where woe upon the single man who saw them enter, artful witches, well they knew it, in a glow. But if you had judged from the numbers of people on their way to friendly gatherings, you might have thought that no one was at home to give them welcome when they got there, instead of every house expecting company and piling up its fires half chimney high. Blessings on it, how the ghost exulted, how it bared its breadth of breast and opened its capacious palm and floated on, outpouring with a generous hand its bright and harmless mirth on everything within its reach. The very lamplighter who ran on before, dotting the dusky street with specks of light, and who was dressed to spend the evening somewhere laughed out loudly as the spirit passed, though little kenned the lamplighter that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak and desert moor, where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about as though it were the burial place of giants, and water spread itself wheresoever it listed, or it would have done so but for the frost that held it prisoner, and nothing grew but moss and furs and coarse rank grass. Down in the west, the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red which glared upon the desolation for an instant like a sullen eye and frowning lower 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 yet was lost in the thick gloom of darkest night what place is this asked Scrooge a place where miners live who labor in the bowels of the earth, returned the spirit. But they know me, see? A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, 
they found a cheerful company assembled round a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman with their children and their children's children and another generation beyond that all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man, in a voice that seldom rose above the howling of the wind upon the barren waste, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in the chorus. So surely, As they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and loud, and so surely as they stopped, his vigour sank again. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe, and passing on above the moor, spared, whither, not to see to see. To Scrooge's horror, looking back, he saw the last of land, a frightful range of rocks behind them, and his ears were deafened by the thundering of water as it rolled and roared and raged among the dreadful caverns it had worn, and fiercely tried to undermine the earth. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks, some league or so from shore, on which the waters chafed and dashed the wild year through, there stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base, and storm birds, born of the wind one might suppose, The seaweed of the water rose and fell about it like the waves they skimmed. But even here, two men who watched the light had made a fire that through the loophole in the thick stone wall shed out a ray of brightness on the awful sea. Joining their hands over the rough table at which they sat, They wished each other a Merry Christmas in their can of grog, and one of them, the elder, too, with his face all damaged and scarred with hard weather, as the figurehead of an old ship might be, struck up a sturdy song that was like a gale in itself. Again, the ghost sped on, above the black and heaving sea, on and on, until being far away, as he told Scrooge from any shore, they lighted on a ship. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel, the lookout in the bow, the officers who had the watch, dark ghostly figures in their several stations, but every man among them hummed a Christmas tune, or had a Christmas thought, or spoke below his breath. 
to his companion some bygone Christmas day with homeward hopes belonging to it. And every man on board, waking or sleeping, good or bad, had had a kinder word for another on that day than on any day in the year, and had shared to some extent in its festivities, and had remembered those he cared for at a distance, and had known that they delighted to remember him. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while listening to the moaning of the wind, and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness over an unknown abyss whose depths were secrets as profound as death. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while thus engaged, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's, and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room, with the spirit standing, smiling by its side, and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. If you should happen by any unlikely chance, to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is, I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me, and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things while there is in infection, in disease, in sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head, and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends, being not a bit behindhand, roared lustily. He said that Christmas was a humbug as I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. He believed it too. More shame for him, Fred, said Scrooge's niece indignantly. Bless those women. They never do anything by halves. They are always in earnest. She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed as no doubt it was, all kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed, and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head. Altogether, she was not what you would have called provoking, you know, but 
satisfactory too. Oh, perfectly satisfactory. He's a comical old fellow, said Scrooge's nephew. That's the truth. Not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offences carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he's very rich, Fred, hinted Scrooge's niece. He's to always tell me so. What of that, my dear, said Scrooge's nephew. His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He don't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking that he is ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him, observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece's sisters and all the other ladies expressed the same opinion. Oh, I have, said Scrooge's nephew. I'm sorry for him. Couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers ill by his whims? Himself, always. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? We don't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner, interrupted Scrooge's niece. Everybody else had said the same and they must be allowed to have been competent judges because they had just had dinner and with the dessert upon the table were clustered round the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew, because I haven't great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Topham had clearly got his eye upon one of Scrooge's niece's sisters, for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject. Whereat Scrooge's niece's sister, the plump one with the lace tucker, not the one with the roses, blushed. Do go on, Fred said Scrooge's niece, clapping her hands. He never finishes what he begins to say. He's such a ridiculous fellow. Scrooge's nephew reveled in another laugh, and as it was impossible to keep the infection off, though the plump sister tried hard to do it with aromatic vinegar, his example was unanimously followed. I was only going to say, said Scrooge's nephew, the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us, as I think, is that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I'm sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him. If he finds me going there in good temper, year after year, and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? 
it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. I think I shook him yesterday. It was their turn to laugh now at the notion of his shaking Scrooge, but being thoroughly good-natured, not much caring what they laughed at, so that they laughed at any rate, he encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea, they had some music, for they were a musical family and knew what they were about when they sung a glee or catch, I can assure you, especially Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins in his forehead or get red in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well upon the harp and played some other tunes, a simple little air, a mere nothing. He might learn to whistle it in two minutes, which had been familiar to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school, as he had been reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When this strain of music sounded, all the things that ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more, and thought that if he could have listened to it often, years ago, he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness, with his own hands, without resorting to the sexton's spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while, they played forfeits, for it is good to be children sometimes, never better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. Stop. There was first a game at Blind Man's Buff. Of course there was. And I no more believe Topper was really blind than I believe he had eyes in his boots. My opinion is it was a done thing between him and Scrooge's nephew, and that the ghost of Christmas present knew it. The way he went after that plump sister in the lace tucker was an outrage on the credulity of human nature, knocking down the fire irons, tumbling over the chairs, bumping against the piano, smothering himself among the curtains wherever she went he went there he always knew where the plump sister was he couldn't catch anybody else if you had fallen up against him as some of them did on purpose he would have made a feint of endeavouring to seize you which would have been an affront to your understanding and would instantly have sidled off in the direction of the plump sister. She often cried out that it wasn't fair, and really it was not. But when at last he caught her, when in spite of all her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, he got her into a corner where there was no escape, Then his conduct was the most execrable. For his pretending not to know her 
his pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress and further to assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck was vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him her opinion of it when another blind man being in office, they were so very confidential together behind the curtains. Scrooge's niece was not of one of the blind man's buff party, but was made comfortable with a large chair and a footstool in a snug corner, where the ghost and Scrooge were close behind her. But she joined in the forfeits and loved her love to admiration with all the letters of the alphabet. Likewise, at the game of how, when, and where, she was very great, and to the secret joy of Scrooge's nephew beat her sisters hollow, though they were sharp girls too, as Topper could have told you. There might have been twenty people there, young and old, but they all played, and so did Scrooge, for wholly forgetting in the interest he had in what was going on, that his voice made no sound in their ears. He sometimes came out with his guess quite loud, and very often guessed it right, too, for the sharpest needle, best white chapel, warranted not to cut in the eye, was not sharper than Scrooge, blunt as he took it in his head to be. The ghost was greatly pleased to find him in this mood, and looked upon him with such favour that he begged, like a boy, to be allowed to stay until the guest departed. But this, the spirit said, could not be done. Here is a new game, said Scrooge. One half-hour spirit, only one. It was a game called Yes and No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the rest must find out what he only answering to their questions, yes or no, as the case was. The brisk fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal, a live animal, a rather disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes, and talked sometimes, and lived in London, and walked about the streets, and wasn't made a show of, and wasn't led by anybody, and didn't live in a menagerie, and was never killed in a market, and was not a horse, or a donkey, or a cow, or a bull, or a tiger, or a dog, or a pig, or a cat, or a bear. At every fresh question that was put to him, this nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter, and was so inexpressibly tickled that he was obliged to get up off the sofa and stamp. At last, the plump sister, falling into a similar state, cried out, 
I've found it. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. What is it? cried Fred. It's your Uncle Scrooge. Which it certainly was. Admiration was the universal sentiment, though some objected to the reply to Is it a bear? ought to have been yes, insomuch as the answer in the negative was sufficient to have diverted their thoughts from Mr. Scrooge, supposing they ever had any tendency that way. It has given us a plenty of merriment, I'm sure, said Fred, and it would be ungrateful not to drink him his health. Here is a glass of mulled wine ready to hand at the moment, and I do say, Uncle Scrooge. Well, Uncle Scrooge, they cried. Merry Christmas and a happy new year to the old man, wherever he is, said Scrooge's nephew. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in an audible speech if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last word spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful, on foreign lands, and they were close at home, by struggling men, and they were patient in their greater hope, by poverty and it was rich. In almshouse, hospital, and jail, in misery's every refuge, where vain man, in his little brief authority, had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. It was a long night, if it were only a night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this, because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into the space of time they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it until they left a children's twelfth night party, when looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that his hair was grey. Are spirits' lives so short? asked Scrooge. My life upon this globe is very brief, replied the ghost. It ends tonight. Tonight? cried Scrooge. Tonight at midnight. Hark, the time is drawing near. Oh, forgive me, I 
I am just not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe. But I see something strange, not belonging to yourself, protruding from your skirt. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here. From the foldings of its robe, it brought two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh, man, look here, look, look down here exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility. Where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints, stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degree. But most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out his hand toward the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your facetious purposes, and make it worse and bide the end. Have they no refuge or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve.
Scrooge looked about him for the ghost, saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley, and lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. <laughs> 